his heart is set on your blessing because that's who he is. What he wants from you is the high privilege of loving you. That's what he wants more than anything else from you. He wants the privilege of loving you more than he wants your service, more than he wants your obedience. Hosea 6, 7 says, God says, I desire love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God instead of burnt offerings. If you're going to know your father, you have to know his love. Now, here's the news about that. You don't get that by going to seminary. You don't get that by having high mountaintop experiences. You don't get that through your intellect or your emotions. You get that through divine revelation. The Lord himself will speak his love into your heart, but you have to believe that he loves you to listen for it. You have to start from a position of faith. Lord, I can't feel it. I don't see any reason why you should love me. Anybody been there besides me? And you think he's making a mistake of some kind because he loves you. And we'll act like this. Oh, you don't really know what's happening in here. Oh, really? This is God. Psalm 139, David says, Lord, you've known me. You've planned every day of my life. You know everything there is to know about me. Psalm 139. And then he says, such knowledge is too high, too wonderful for me. I can't touch that. You know, we know that God is omniscient, don't we? He knows everything. This is a different kind of knowledge. The fact that God knows the position of every electron in the universe, which is something quantum physics cannot do, but God knows the position of every, every single electron in the universe. That's one kind of knowledge. The way he knows you is personal. He knows you. Not about you. He knows you. Why does he know you? Because he made you for his own purposes. God, your maker, knows you clear through. He knows everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever did, everything you've imagined. He knows all of your weaknesses, all of your imperfections. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you didn't care about him, he still died for you. When you had no interest in him, when you were his sworn enemy, he died for you. He does not love you less now. You get this? The point of creation of human beings is this. God created us to fellowship with him. We have a father who wants a family. And since he's God, he wants a big family. A 
really big family. We have a saying, don't we? Like father, like son. I want to be like daddy. Can I get an amen on that? I want to be like daddy. I want to love the way daddy does. Jesus said there are two great commandments. He was confronted by one of the scribes. Which is the greatest commandment? What was it, guys? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, by the way, there's another one. Love your neighbor, how? As yourself. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Did Jesus keep those two commandments? Did he love the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength? Did Jesus love his neighbor? Did Jesus love himself? When did it start? Always, right? Always. Well, he loved himself when he had no ministry. He didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. He was just working as a builder in Nazareth, living an ordinary 24-7 life like you and me. He was doing nothing special, and he loved himself. Why did he do that? Because he had a father who loved him, and he missed him. That confirmation came when Jesus was baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Gentlemen, he is looking at you and the Father is saying the very same thing to you. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let that soak in for a moment. He's not looking for your performance. You're not a living tool. You're not a strategy. Here, here's the way it works. Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might walk in them. First thing is we're created in Christ Jesus. That's new creation, isn't it? A new creation is not something old that's been propped up and made a little bit better. It's something that wasn't there before and now it is it's a new creation that's who you are in jesus you're brand new paul says the old has passed away the new has come we're not waiting for it we've got it listen the man you can be is found in the man you already are please hear that the man you can be is found in the man you already are by the blood of Jesus. You didn't do it, he did it. He made you brand new. Well, I just have these problems and Satan kicks me around. Well, kick him. Kick him. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Listen, this isn't a fairy tale. This is not unrealistic. The God we serve is utterly pragmatic. He doesn't say you ought to do it and then he won't let you try. That's Satan. Every commandment God ever gave you comes with a promise. And the promise is this. When you try, I'll back you up. I will back you up. I will back you up to the hilt. 
You give me your will. You give me your determination, and I can move the earth with it. But you and I have got to do that. You do that by looking into the heart of God. What is he like? What does he think about you? How does he feel about you? I shouldn't walk away so far from the notes that I might use. <laughs> you know, Rodney Pogue really set me up last night. Now, you guys are really going to hear a great message about the heart of the Father tomorrow. No pressure. But that's exactly what I want, gentlemen. That's exactly what I want. I've been in a steep learning curve, the oldest man in the room, about what it is to be identified with Christ. The scripture says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It does not say Christ instead of you. It does not say Christ around you. It does not say Christ through you. It says Christ in you is the hope of glory. In you. Now, some people say, well, I just want to be transparent so Jesus can be seen. He's not interested in that. He, uh, nothing will do that. Move, move you aside, and here I am. I'm Jesus, pure and simple. You and I are not clear glass. We're stained glass windows with a story to tell. You look in that window, and there's a story there. In the medieval churches, that's why they did it. There was an illiterate congregation, and they would put a picture of the gospel in stained glass so they could understand it. You and I are stained glass windows with God's glory shining through us. God's glory shines through us because we have a Father who loves us. So sometimes guys who want to serve the Lord get caught in this satanic trap. You know, they'll, they'll be told, you really, you know, you really blessed me. And they'll say something like, well, that was the Lord. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was Jesus in you. You were involved. Are you getting this? You were involved in this thing. If you make a dichotomy like this, that all the good stuff is Jesus and all the bad stuff is me, that's a false identity and it's a lie. And Satan wants to do that to people. Yeah, Jesus used you, but it was tough for him. And you really didn't like doing it because you're sorry. That's, the, that's Satan. Listen, he wants to team in with you, to partner with you to change the world. He is going to do that, by the way. We serve a God who has decided to win this big struggle. And since he's God Almighty, he can do that, can't he? Can you decide, I'm going to win this thing. I've got it. I know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to take all the sin of the world upon myself. I'm going to cancel that sin. And I'm going to transform human holiness. And I'm going to do it with my family. I'm going to do it with my family. Because our father is a family man. You got that? He's a family man. You and I are his beloved family. We sing a song sometimes. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. 
It's who I am. I am loved by you. The father, when he spoke to his son at the baptism, said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He is not saying to you, this is my beloved son, but he's a washout. He's a train wreck. He's a waste of time. He was a failed experiment. God is not talking to you like that. Satan is talking to you like that. What does the name Satan mean, guys? Accuser. Finger pointer. Well, that good stuff wasn't you. You weren't involved in it. That was just Jesus. Wasn't you. Yes, it was me. It was me. Were you there? Did you pray that something good would happen? Was that you? Yes, it was you. Do you want the Lord to take hold of your life and use you for his glory? That's you. That's not somebody else. The poet W.B. Yeats, I wrote a book about him, which no one has ever read. <laughs> I gave the book to my mother. My mother. She got the book. And she had it for a while. She said, Mom, what did you think of the book? She said, well, son, I tried to read it, but I just couldn't. <laughs> this is my mother. It's in the academic library. It's in the uh, British Museum Library in London. It's in the card catalog. It's there. Nobody's ever read it. But W.B. Yeats, about whom I wrote this unread book, said that one wise thing in his life. The heart of God cannot, the love of the heart of God for you cannot be satisfied by anyone else. The only one who can satisfy God's love for you is you. Now, God loves me. Whitney Core cannot stand in that place and say, well, you can love me instead of Larry. Fathers don't do that, do they? Now, we're not talking about a good father. We're talking about the ultimate father who has no favorites. He's not Isaac. He's not Jacob. He's not David. He doesn't have any favorite sons. Just has sons. That's why comparisons are so stupid in the family of God. The Bible says that when we compare ourselves with one another, we're without understanding. Because God's not doing that. God doesn't say, well, because he's working harder at the kingdom, I love him more than this guy. A loving father doesn't think like that. You know the parable of the prodigal son, right? We've read this thing. The striking thing about that is the heart of the father toward both sons. But the sad part of that story is neither one of them understand their father. There are two ways they can, you can fall out here. One way you cannot understand how much God loves you is shame. You screwed up so badly that there's just no way a good God could love you. You've got these deep, dark, rotten secrets, and you're sure he cannot love you, and you're ashamed. Satan loves that one. That's good. That'll keep you out. Or, that's, that's the, uh, the boy who ran away. When he comes back, I'm unworthy to be called his son. Right? Has his head hanging. I'm unworthy to be called his son. 
What does daddy do? Give me the best robe. That'd be his robe. Give me the ring. Best ring. That's my ring. Give me shoes for his feet. Those would be my shoes. My son's come back. Let's celebrate. He doesn't say one word about the son's failure. But somebody does. Who's the one that talks about that son's failure? The other son. The other son has fallen aside on the pride side of the issue. Look, I did everything you told me to do. I, you owe me the fatted calf, daddy. What's this about? That's the pride side. He doesn't understand his father's heart, does he? His father says, if you want to be advancement, what does James tell us? You have not. Why? Because you ask not. You got a good father. Have you asked him? Now, if he's not coming across with it right away, there may be a reason. That's what you need to find out, right? One thing he's not is a cosmic blessing machine. You put in your corner pair, pull the handle, and out comes the blessing. That's not who he is. This is the way you enter the heart of God. This is the way you find his love. You humble yourself to him. The attitude of humility is pure thankfulness. Are you thankful that you have a God who loves you? Are you thankful that he wants you to understand more and more of what that love means? More and more of it. There was a time in my life when I was pretty sure God didn't love me. Because of the things that were happening to me. Uh, a few weeks back, you may have seen a testimony of mine that David used as part of his sermon. Because we're in a turquoise church, which is why I decided to wear this turquoise. I talked about the death of my wife. When my wife was my first wife, I'm now married again to a woman 16 and a half years younger than I am. <laughs> cool, man. It's cool. I may be a dirty old man, but I'm a happy dirty old man. When my first wife, her cancer was getting worse, we did not know it, but what was happening is that tumors were blocking her intestines, and she thought she was constipated. She could feel the blockage. And I knew things were getting worse, and I went down to the Albertsons drugstore on South 14th back when it was there. And I went and I looked for, she said, get me a laxative. So I went and I looked, looked at the laxative section and I checked nothing. I looked at all the drugs in, in that place. I looked at all the non-prescription drugs. And why am I doing this? She said, why am I looking at everything? And suddenly it hit me. I was looking for a cure for cancer in a non-prescription drug in Albertsons. I was that desperate. When I realized that was what was happening, the anger that had been pent up in me just came to the top. I took my truck and parked it in the far corner of Albertsons. I rolled up the windows and I let God have it. I told, listen, you promise in your word if two or three agree as touching anything, you'll do it. It's not happening. I have hundreds of people praying for my wife. 
that she's not getting healed. You say you're a healer, but you're not healing. You say that you're a good father, but you're not listening. You're breaking my heart. I said a lot of other things that you don't want to hear now. It was full bore in your face. I want to hurt you, anger. I wanted to attack him. If he'd been a man, I would have punched him in the face. I said when I was finally done, I was screaming at the top of my lungs, I screamed myself hoarse. And I said, what about that God? I would not call him Father. And there was a pause of silence. Now I was, okay, now I'm going to have a heart attack and die. This is it. And I didn't care. I did not care. I did not care what the consequences were going to be because I, that was where I was and that was it. There was a short silence. And in my heart, I heard this still small voice. I love you, son. It broke me. That anger evaporated. I just crumpled. And I thought, if you can love me after I've said the things I've said to you, after I've attacked you, after I wanted to, to hurt you, then you can say you love me. And I'm okay. I don't know how or why. I'm okay. Because I know you love me. In spite of the way I feel, in spite of the way things are, if I know that I can make it, and I did, did make it. We're through. That was a revelation of God's heart, but listen, it was something else. It was a revelation of my sonship. Are you hearing that? It was a revelation of my sonship. I have a father who loves me. No matter where I get down, the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing, not in heaven or earth, nothing in you, nothing that has happened to you or will happen to you can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. I still don't understand why my wife died, but I tell you what, I saw such glory in the thing. It amazed me. Let me tell you something that happened. This is the funniest joke I've ever heard in my life. You have to be there if you don't think it's that funny. Ken and Chris Krieger were in our house. They, Chris had the same cancer my wife did. We were further down the road. They were very interested in us and what we were happening. We had a lot to do. They came to our house. It was lunchtime. I had a Rick and Carolyn's burger. And I put it on a, a tub, an old tub of soap that was empty, right beside my wife's recliner. Because when she was getting near the end, I always just wanted to be close enough to touch her, you know. I want to be able to reach out and touch my wife. Sitting on the floor eating Rick and Carolyn's burger and fries. And we just had conversation, and I finally said, is, uh, is this a table or a tub? And here we hear the little cancer voice from my wife in the recliner. It's not a table. It's not a tub. It's a bucket. They're waiting for me to kick it. <laughs> 
At first, there was a shocked silence. No, we can't talk like that. And they thought, she can talk like that. She can say anything she likes. Why? Because she's a beloved daughter. When she found out her cancer was back, she got mad. She got mad at God. She said, I have been telling people that God healed me. I've given Emmaus talks about this. And when, it, when they showed up again, she was mad at God. She said, damn it. I have talked about this and given God praise and it's back. I had never heard her use a cuss word in her life. One of the reasons she liked me in the beginning was that when I got a flat tire, I didn't cuss about it. Not that I wasn't cussing on the inside, but I did not voice it. She was impressed with that because her father had been a big cusser about everything. When I heard her say that, I got scared for her. I thought, okay, I can deal with the cancer back, but I cannot deal with it if she loses her faith. I'm, I'm cooked. I'm done. If she gives up, I'm done. I saw how angry she was. We finally settled down. We had lunch. and I finally just couldn't hold on anymore. I said, shh, shh, shh. Landon, you do still love the Lord, don't you? Now, you guys who are married know what this look is. It's the, how can you be so stupid look? <laughs> really? She looked at me, gave me that look, and she said, of course I love him. I'm just mad. And God said to me, this is my beloved daughter. She can say anything she likes. See, that's the way it was with me in the Albertson coffee world. I could say anything because I was loved. I want you to know the heart of God that way. I don't want you to have to go through that trial to find out. But I'm thankful for that trial. I'm telling you now. I'm thankful for it. Because it put things in my heart that go into eternity with me. I was at an elder retreat one time in the year 2013. We had a fine lakeside cabin, uh, a really ritzy place. It was, I enjoyed it because I don't generally go to places like that. And we had a, a session where we were supposed to get uh, alone with God. I got alone with God. He said, I want you to write down everything I tell you. And it, it was dictation. He said, I won't write faster than you can, I won't speak to you faster than you can write, but I want you to write down everything. And I did, it came page and a half. It was all affirmation, all love. One thing I remember especially was, he said, I didn't call you beloved to be nice. That's who you are. Are you hearing that? I'm not God's special son. He doesn't have any special favorite sons. All of his sons are in the same place. He is saying to you, I don't call you beloved to be nice. It's who you are. Now, do you have a reason to love yourself? If God loves you, now, you can read in 2 Timothy 3, 2. There's a list. Don't do it now. I'm just giving you address. 
Paul starts out a, a long series of sins, and the first sin, he says, are lovers of self. Now, how can the Scripture say to us, love your neighbor as yourself, and then condemn lovers of self? Not the same love, is it? Not the same love. Lovers of self are selfish. They take care of number one. That's not the love of God in them. They can't accept themselves. They got to win approval. They got to fight for it. When, when you're a self-lover, failure is terrible. It's a terrible thing. Because God loves you, sometimes you'll do the little failure where you might refocus. Anybody been there? Uh huh. Give you a little disaster, give you a little trouble because he loves you. He wants you to refocus. Men, there's no way to tell you to the degree that I want to tell you, that, that I want to hear how much God loves you. It is the central life lesson, the big one, capital L life, capital L lesson. I was talking to Reese yesterday, and I said, we really ought to call this the identity camp. We could call it the identity retreat, but that would sound girly. But it really, by the way, I'm, am I, how many people are, are wearing boots here? I got on boots at boot camp. Anybody else? Nobody else. See, I'm the only, okay, thank you. I, have, I see that hand. There's another one. It's tennis shoe camp is what it is. I'm going to read some out of Scripture for you. Right now, just listen. Just listen. You can look it up later. It's the first chapter of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many? Every. All there is is there. You're not waiting for it. I'm going to tell you again, the man you can be is found in the man you already are by the blood of Jesus. It's there. Walk in it. You're God's workmanship, created Christ Jesus for good works that you might walk in them. And listen, your good work isn't like mine. You're in a different place than I am. You have different friends, different contexts. You shine in a light in the place where God has put you. The scripture says God has determined the time and place for every human being to be lived. He's decided that. Your place is the place where you shine. I don't go there. That's not my spot. I'm to shine there. When I retired from teaching at Hardin-Simmons, 39 years teaching English literature, and you thought librarians were wimpy. <laughs> but I'm a man, man, I camp all the time. Hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. Where was I going with that? It was a good place. Oh, yeah, I got it now. Okay. After I retired from Hardin-Simmons, 
I've been living by the school clock since I was six years old. And suddenly that's gone. I have all this time on my hands, more time than I want. Some of you think that would be paradise. More time than I want. I thought, Lord, I wanted to be busier with this. I want to do more. I want to be involved in more kingdom stuff. And I asked him, am I living a life that matters? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Am I living a life that matters? His answer astonished me. He said, I matter. Ponder that for a moment. Paul says, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Jesus lives in you, you cannot live a life that doesn't matter. It's not possible. It cannot happen. However, there are measures of fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. I want 100 fold. How about you? Yes, I want 100 fold fruit. I want God to be glorified. I want it said that Christ in Larry Bruner was the hope of glory. I want that to resonate in heaven. That's going to happen the more I press into the heart of God. The more I see what daddy thinks of me, the closer I'll get to that. We've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When you're you're done and when you get time, read Ephesians from the beginning to verse 210. When you get time. And don't read it as something that's talking about Jesus. Read it as an identity statement for you. Throughout it's in him, in him, in him, in him, which is where you are. You're in him. Read it as an identity statement. I'll just touch on some of it here. It says that we were appointed, chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. You don't feel like that about yourself, do you? I don't either. Holy and blame. Are you serious? Yes. He's serious. He means it. He means to present us as a pure and spotless bride. Here's something else for you to ponder. Jesus once said, all, who's, all the Father has given me are mine. I won't lose one of them. Have you ever thought of yourself as a love gift of the Father to the Son? Do you think the Father's going to give his, son, his own Son bad stuff? We are a gift. Jesus says, all the Father has given me are mine. You're a love gift of the Father to the Son. God's great glory is that it's true. Even when we don't see it, we don't feel it at all. It's still true. It's true because God says it's true. You and I know very little about who we really are. The tip of the iceberg is, is all we get. But God wants you to know yourself well. 
Let me tell you why he wants you to know yourself well. Because if you want to know the love of God, you've got to know what it is he loves. Hear it again. If you want to know the love of God, you've got to know what it is he loves. And he loves you. So you need to know yourself, don't you? You've got to know what kind of man God loves. You've got to know that this is the inside knowledge. You know, I, I can, I'll pick on Whitney again. He's my roommate. But I can say, well, I see the Lord really loves Whitney. And God's love is really great because I can see it in Whitney. But I have another access to knowing that, don't I? I do. I get inside knowledge. I see it around Whitney, but I can't get inside Whitney. I can get inside me. In part. In part, I can get inside me. The psalmist says, search me, O God. This is the end of Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, David says, Lord, you've known all about me, and that knowledge is too great for me. I cannot attain it. And then he says, but keep it up. At one point, he says, you hem me in behind and before. That sounds scary, doesn't it? Whoa, you hem me in behind and before, and you know me. It looks like he's just about to whack it. Mm -mm. He's hemming you in. The end of the psalm says, search me, O God, try me, know my thoughts, please get in my head, test me, know my heart, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It doesn't stop, well, show me everything that's wrong, show me what offends you, show me everything that's wicked and sinful in my life, no. Just know it, Lord, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the way everlasting has a name. What is his name? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me into Jesus. Lead me in Jesus. Let me see in Jesus perfect sonship realized. That's where you want to be. After you've searched me, after you've tried me, after you know every deep, dark secret in my heart, after you've looked at the things that I don't even want to think about, things I've forgotten, things I have done, after you know it all, you know my heart completely. After you know my anxious thoughts, you see every offensive way in me. Then, Father, Lead me in the way everlasting. You see, the Lord does know everything. That should not be a scary thought for you. That should be great comfort for you. God's not waiting you for to not waiting for you to make your final irretrievable mistake. That is just a panic call. Fisher, I've put up with you long enough, and this is it. You're done. Out of here. Does that sound like what Jesus died for to you? That sounds like that elder brother. Kick him out. What are you killing the fat of calf for? He doesn't belong here. What's he doing wearing your robe, your ring? What about me? 
who doesn't get the heart of God does not understand what's happening. When am I supposed to be dead? Please say later. <laughs> Anytime, just keep going. I've got so much here, there isn't time to say, guys. These are great notes, believe me. Here's one I want you to check. I really want you to get this one. Satan really doesn't care if you like yourself or you dislike yourself. He doesn't care. If you think you're God's gift to the church, wow, the Lord is so lucky to have me on his side. He's good with that. And he doesn't care if you think, I'm, I should never be here. I'm such a loser. Oh, man, I'm a spiritual washout. All I do is sin, sin, sin. Either one works for him. He doesn't care. Just don't be humble. Don't be humble. Don't approach God with a thankful heart and say, Lord, thank you for loving. I believe you love me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. When you kill the pride or the shame, or you, some of us just go back and forth. That's what I do. Anybody else? It's like the same room. Shame, woo, pride, shame, pride. Good day, proud, bad day, shame. <laughs> but listen, I'm getting stabilized. I am learning this thing. That the love of God never changes. He's not moody. He's made up his mind about me. He's decided about me. And he says, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And it's going to stay that way because my son bought you with a price. And you're mine. Not letting you go. Here's something that's important. 1 John 3, 1. See, it's a commandment. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God and so we are. We're not sort of sons of God or working to be. You can't work to be a son of God. Mm -mm. There's no access there. You don't work for it. It's a gift. Unless you receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child, you're not getting it at all. When you have an Oreo cookie for a little child, you ever see a little child say, well, I didn't clean my room today and I couldn't help it. No, he takes it, right? Because he likes Oreos. That's how you receive the kingdom of heaven. Just like this. You got empty hands, nothing to offer, and then God That's the love of the Father. You cannot lean too hard on that. It will never break. It's not thin ice. It's mild, thick marble. You cannot break it. I love what Jack Taylor said at our last Word, Spirit, and Tower concert. Uh, concert. <laughs> what is one of those things called? <clears throat> Thank you. I'm getting all choked up about it. Jack Taylor said this. Don't pretend to give God reasons not to love you. Don't you even go there. Don't you think about it. And don't let 
Satan pretend to give you reasons that God gives them. The accuser wants to point the finger at you and say you have lost it, you're washed out, and you're useless. And it's a lie. Here's the deal. Satan wants to obscure and cloud and numb every understanding of who you are. Why? Because he's desperately afraid of you. He knows this, that in Jesus we are kingdom destroyers towards Satan. We're going to take it down. The gates of hell will not prevail against loved sons who know they have power, who know they are warriors, who know they can kick ass and take Satan down in their own lives and in the lives of other people. That's who we're called to be. You know the man that wrote uh, Psalm 139, search me, try me, know me. That David played the harp, remember? He made up poetry and he killed lions and bears with his pen. That's who we are. We're not one narrow thing. We're the spectrum the way Jesus was. Jesus, the ultimate man's man, is also a warrior. You look in Revelation, and he's got blood up to his thighs because he's manifesting the wrath of God against evil. And he means business. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, the children climbed up in his lap. They wanted to be with him. The same man that's that warrior here talking. He wants to be both things in you. Gentle, loving, tender, and dangerous to the enemy. God bless you guys. Love you. you guys didn't uh, realize that you just got classic Bruner this morning. He's, uh, he's one of a kind, thankfully. <laughs> but he's also one of the most incredible teachers I've ever had opportunity to listen to. Okay, but we're not finished with this session. We've got one more thing that we're going to do. So... <clears throat> One of the uh, very important pieces of this message is an exercise that we're going to ask you guys to do in just a moment. And it may sound strange to you. It may sound weird if this is your first time here. But I can tell you there are men here right now at this camp and men, hundreds of men who have been to camp before who would, wouldn't take a million dollars of what happened during this part of this weekend. Because we're going to ask you to go out by yourself in just a moment and spend a few minutes, just you, alone with God. And you've only got one question to ask him. Father, do you have a new name that you want to call me this morning? Now, sometimes over the years what's happened is we have 
guys that literally got a given name. Like Larry, not too many got Larry probably, but I'm kidding. If you get Larry, that's a blessing. You can, you can just go sit right next to him and let him give you some more of his wisdom. You may get a name like Brad. You may get a name like fill in the blank. You may get a name like Warrior. You may get a name like Beloved Son. You may get a name like Overcomer. You may get one of a thousand descriptive words that are also names. They are names that your Heavenly Father call each of, each of us all the time, but because we're not listening very well, we may not hear all the different ways God can describe you and how much he loves you. And if you get a given name, a proper name, and you think, well, why did I get that name? And you go and you research what the meaning of that name is, and it'll blow you away. What I'm saying to you is your Heavenly Father has some things to say to you this morning. Just you. I want to show you a video, a testimony of what happened to just one guy during this time and the new name that God gave him. This is Rob Beckham from a few years ago. Two years ago at boot camp, I had gotten up there and talked about how he had experiencing on a regular basis the physical manifestation of God. It struck me as, as a little bit odd. Uh, I remember walking back to the cabin with my brother and asking him if he had ever had an experience like that, ever heard the, the voice of God. And he had said, no, he had never heard the voice of God, but that there was a session that was coming up at the camp that went into uh, being given a name and you go out into the to the quiet and pray and and he said he he had a a clear name given to him and thought that that was really a, a neat encounter for him and the moment he said that a name flashed in my mind's eye it was like a a white billboard with this name on it and at the time i really didn't think much about it and you know how your mind does things like that sometimes so Later on, we were in that session and, and went through it, and I went out to my quiet place, and I was praying and praying for a name, and really the name that appeared to me on the billboard was not a name that I was expecting. It was a biblical name, and and I kind of went through the process of, well, that just couldn't have been it. And, but nothing came to me at the, the time, and I kept kind of asking God, well, was that it? And still never got a, a real clear answer. And, Finished up the boot camp and it was a fantastic experience. We had a great time and uh, it was about two weeks later, uh, my family and I were on a family reunion. It was my wife's family and went in to register with the, at the front desk and they didn't have our name tags and they said, well, your mother-in-law has already gotten them. After uh, the kids, you know, said hello and hugged and we had our greetings, uh, I said, surely uh, they said you have our name tags up front. And she said, oh yeah. So she dug in her purse and she's handing them out to my sons and she kind of comes to a name tag and she's looking at it and she's confused. And 
looking at it and said, well, what's the deal? And she said, oh, they made a mistake. I said, what, what did they do? And she said, well, here. And she handed it to me and she said, Isaac Beckham. And Isaac was the name that I saw on the, uh, in my mind's eye. And I mean, it immediately, I, I just had to walk out of the room. It was kind of a conference center and I walked out in the back hallway and you know, I, I was shaking and uh, still get goosebumps when I think about it, but uh, the, the number of names that are out there, I mean, the fact that this name was the name that I saw in my mind's eye and it really was God saying, yeah, I exist, I'm here, I love you. God is real, he exists, but not only does he exist, he's a very personal God and wants a living relationship with each and every one of us. So sometimes during this alone time over the years, God does just what he did to Rob. He may give you a name and you think, I have no idea what that's for, what it means. You may go and look up the meaning of it and you go, but it may be, this is just his way, his way of showing you, dude, I, 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 I know you. And I want you to understand, just like how Rob understood. Rob knew the reason why he got that name, the whole experience was what? God just telling him, I know you. I love you. You're important to me. So here's the deal. Uh, in just a second, when I dismiss you, I want you to go somewhere, and uh, you don't have a lot of time. Well, you need to be back here at 10.30 sharp. You will not want to miss the next session. It's extremely important. But this is not a time for you to talk to your buddy. It's not a time for you to talk to anyone. This is not fire team time. This is just you and God. You've got a few minutes, so to kind of emphasize that, when you leave, this is code of silence. Don't talk to anybody. You already, as you're walking, begin to get in, a, in an atmosphere in your mind to let the Father speak to you. Everybody with me? One question. God, do you have a new name for me? This morning, go to silence, see you at 1030.